hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, thank you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. So glad you could join me today. It's the start of summer. I know the official start of summer isn't until June 21st, but the unofficial start is this weekend, Memorial Day weekend. If you're going somewhere, be safe. Take your time. You'll get there eventually. And when you get there, chances are there are going to be more people there than were there last year. And that's because people are feeling pretty good. They're feeling flush. They just got some tax cuts. The economy's looking pretty good. You know, AAA projects a 4.7% increase in travel by car this holiday weekend as compared to last year. And that's despite the recent rise in gas prices. Right now, the average is getting close to $3 a gallon. And that's because oil's been on a tear here. WTI is in the low 70s and Brent is in the upper 70s. I'll tell you, it's good to be invested in the oil stocks and the oil service companies now. I said a couple of months ago that I thought oil would go to 80. We're not there yet, but we're not so far away. You know, I saw on Bloomberg that assuming gas prices don't rise any more than where they are now, Americans on average are going to pay $100 more for gas this summer than they did last summer. That's just for three months. And if you have a gas guzzler like I do, well, the damage is probably going to be much worse. My car just refuses to pass any gas station there is. But the good news is, We're nowhere near the record of $4.14 per gallon that we hit 10 years ago back in July of 08. Since next week is a shortened week, the holidays on Monday, we're going to take a break from the podcast and we'll be back on June 6th. And when we come back, we're going to have a special guest come on, Kevin Peters. Kevin is an insurance guru. That's right. He's an insurance guru. If I have a question on any type of insurance, I go right to Kevin and I'm having him on because one of the big questions for a lot of retirees or people getting close to retirement is what are my options when it comes to health care? So we're going to have the guru on to explain it all to us. It's a show you're not going to want to miss. And the week after that, I'm going to have Michelle Cooper back on. She was on a couple of months ago, you might have heard, when we talked about women, wealth, and wellness. So we have two really good shows coming up, ones that you won't want to miss, and I'll try and do my best this week while I'm flying solo. Let's talk a little bit about the markets here. We've been on a pretty good stretch for the last few weeks. Maybe it's because of earning seasons, but since making a low in late March and a fractionally fractionally lower low in April, the S&P 500 has generally made higher lows. Off the latest higher low, the market is pushed back above 2,700 for the first time since mid-April. But we still haven't gotten the upside volume that I'd like to see. 
that nine to one upside momentum. So I still remain a bit skeptical on whether we're off to the races here, especially since we're going into summer and the volumes start to trail off because everyone's headed out to the beach. I'll tell you, earnings season has definitely been a success with more than 90% of the companies having reported earnings per share were up almost 25% compared to last year. We've had 87% of the companies reporting higher earnings and just 12% reported lower earnings. Energy has been one of the biggest earnings sectors, but even without energy earnings, we're up almost 23%. In addition to earnings, we've had some positive news on the, tr- uh, the trade front. Over this past weekend, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin said that the U.S. and China will continue negotiations to reduce China's $375 billion annual trade surplus with the U.S. And the U.S. will delay the tariffs on the inputs while the negotiations go on. So the market really liked that. But the trade jitters aren't over. Anything can happen here. And the U.S. still plans on applying the steel and aluminum tariffs on the EU by the end of the month. On the fixed income side of things, the 10-year Treasury traded over 3.1% last week, which was the highest level since 2011. Remember, higher rates create more competition for stocks. We've talked about this before. But it also makes servicing debt for some companies more difficult. That's why balance sheets are important and you need to pay attention to them. On the technical side of things, the picture's rather mixed here. You have less than 60% of the companies in the S&P trading above their 50-day moving average. And ideally, you'd like to see more than that. Actually, you'd like to see more than 80% of the companies trading above their 50-day moving average to be a believer. And from a contrarian standpoint, investors have become outright bullish. The last couple of weeks, investors have funneled a significant amount of money into stock mutual funds and ETFs, which which makes me a bit nervous. These sentiment indicators are the ones that when they become excessive, you want to do the opposite. We aren't there yet, but we're headed that way. More importantly, corporations are buying back their own stock in record amounts. Estimates are that corporations are going to buy back $180 billion worth of stock in the first quarter. And if this continues, no doubt we're going to set a record. So let's sum this up and move on. Markets are doing pretty well. The economy is doing pretty well. And I'd suspect by the end of the year, we'll have hit new highs on the averages. But in the near term, I still think we're in a trading range. I wouldn't go out piling a bunch of money in the stocks here. It's pretty well known that the late stages of a bull market is where investors can reap a ton of reward, but it can also be their downfall. And that's because they tend to pile in at market tops. Cyclical stocks are the ones that usually do the best and the defensive names usually get thrown out in the trash. Some of those stocks are looking pretty expensive to a long-term investor. I mean, a truly long-term investor. 
the definition of long-term has changed pretty drastically over time. To me, long-term is not 12 months down the road. It's at least three years. If you have that time and patience, I have a couple of names that you may want to look at, and we'll talk about them in just a minute. But first, we need to step away, take a short break, and of course, we need to plug ourselves and what we do for our day jobs. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. We'll be back in just a minute. You've worked hard. You've saved and invested. Now you want to make sure all your hard work pays off. Now's the time to start planning for that future. Hi, this is Eric Whiteman of the XML Financial Group. No two people have the same goals and values. We can help you craft a framework for making a lifetime of smart financial decisions that's right for you. Now's the time to get the advice you deserve. Call us at 301-770-5234. Well, thank you and welcome back to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman. So glad you could join me today. If you have a question for us, well, you can email us. Email us at podcast at xmlfg.com. That's podcast, which is plural at xmlfg.com, or you could call us, phone numbers 301-770-5234. Once again, 301-770-5234. If you listened to last week's show, I said, if you Googled stock market timing, you'd get close to 2 million results with everything from newsletters and digests to astrological charts. Well, apparently... Astrology is bigger than I thought it was. Some people are getting really excited because the charts, that's the astrological charts, are saying that Uranus is moving into Taurus. Who knew? And in some way, that's going to be really good for Bitcoin buyers. There's numerous articles on on this. You, You can find them. Even Ricky Williams, you know, the former Heisman Trophy winner, the running back for the Miami Dolphins and later the New Orleans Saints. Well, he was on a well-known financial channel, and I won't say which one, saying that this is the time for Bitcoin. On top of that, he also explained that Pluto is in the process of passing through Capricorn, and that spells big trouble for the traditional financial institutions. Folks, this is why I always say, do your own research and make sure an investment is appropriate for you. You never buy something just because you heard it on TV or on a podcast or read it in a magazine. No, 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 no. You always need to do your own research. Me, I'm going to stay with being a value investor. You know, stick with the fundamentals like looking for good companies with strong balance sheets, ones that have a great management team, and then I'll try and buy them at reasonable prices. That, to me, seems like good common sense. Although we disagree, I will give Ricky props, though, because he did say that he basically realizes it's speculation and he's only going to invest what he could afford to lose. That's using common sense. I said before we went to the break that cyclical stocks are the ones that usually do best in the later stages of a bull market. And the defensive names are are the ones that usually get thrown away. Some of those stocks 
are looking pretty inexpensive to a long-term investor and ones that you may want to slowly add to your portfolio in anticipation of the inevitable. And I won't say what the inevitable is, but you know what it is. I talked in recent weeks about Procter & Gamble, symbol PG, and how I liked it under 72. The one I want to talk about today is Johnson & Johnson, symbol J&J. I haven't talked about the drug stocks over the last, I don't know, 18 months because I believe the current administration, when they say that they're going to try and tackle what they perceive to be a problem, like trade and taxes, and one of the things they've said all along was that drug prices were too high. Now, now that we've gotten some clarity and the proposal that they put out doesn't seem to me like it's going to have a big impact uh, impact on branded drug pricing. The, when I looked at it, the proposal is more focused on increasing generic competition, strengthening Medicare drug price negotiations, and improving drug price trans, uh, transparency. I thought I'd take a look. So let's talk about J&J. By far, this is my favorite stock in the sector. And it's been a core holding of mine for many years now. That's because they aren't just a pharmaceutical company. They're a company that has a diversified collection of healthcare businesses, which means they have diverse revenue streams. They're the world's largest healthcare company with revenues coming in around $76 billion last year. And that's ahead of Pfizer, which was the second largest uh, drug company out there. Today, the pharmaceutical division contributes about 45% of total revenue and has several industry-leading drugs like Remicade and Stellara. And they've recently launched several new blockbuster drugs, which is great because of the company's size. They need to increase the number of drugs in late-stage development to support their long-term growth. I think that's the case with all the drug companies because investors value on your pipeline. The medical device group brings in another 35% of revenue and they have a dominant position in a lot of areas like orthopedics. If you need a new hip or a new knee, it's probably going to be one of theirs. They've created some new medical devices like ceramic orthopedics and minimally invasive surgical tools, which are positives. And they did an acquisition a little while back that made them a leader in the fast-growing trauma segment. Segment, And then finally, you have the consumer products division that rounds it all out with about 20% of revenue. And you know their brands, Band-Aids, Listerine, Neutrogena, uh, Tylenol. Here, they've had some issues over the last few years with manufacturing, but you still have a lot of brands with strong pricing power. So let's talk about the stock. It's trading just around $122 and Value Line projects earnings of $7. Earnings have grown on average of about 5% a year for the last 10 years and about 4% over the last five years. And currency has been a big part of this um, issue for their slower growth here. But If they do earn $7 this year, earnings would be up nearly 13% year over year. 
Again, if they do earn the $7 this year and we're buying them, that means that right now we'd be buying them at about 17 times earnings. They've traded less expensive over the last 15 years, getting down to the low teens uh, as far as a multiple is concerned. But for such a high quality diversified business, I'm willing to buy at least half now under 115. I look at it and I see that operating and net margins have been growing steadily over time, which means that management has been doing a good job. They pay a nice, well-covered dividend that they've increased for, I think it's 54 consecutive years now. So the dividend is clearly important to them. Value line gives them an A++ for balance sheets, 100 for earnings predictability, and a one for safety. This is really a high quality company. And on top of all that, they generate a ton of free cash flow. And according to Value Line, then they generate more cash flow than reported earnings. And they've been very shareholder friendly. With free cash flow, flow you can pay down debt, you can buy back stock, pay the dividend, do some mergers and acquisitions. I think they do all these going forward. Again, I think you buy half under 115. I will say that I never like buying just one drug stock for a couple of reasons. I usually like to buy a couple. Companies like Merck, look, that looks interesting to me as well as a couple of the biotech names like my long-term holding in AbbVie and a newer one, Regeneron. And I'll talk about what I think about these on an upcoming show. So stay tuned. Well, we've used all our allotted time for this week. Again, we'll be back on June 6th when we'll have on special guest Kevin Peters and we'll be talking about healthcare cost in retirement. You won't want to miss it. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.